message. Amen. Our theme for this year is Let Christ Be Seen in 2017. That's a good song to go along with it. I saw Jesus in you. You know, somebody, you're the best Christian they know. So you might as well be a good one. Amen. That brings me to the book of James, and that's what it's all about. If you'll turn in the book of James, I wanted to put this off to September, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. And I like preaching through books because I believe the Bible preaches to you. Amen? And so I also know where I'm going the next week, and it's a blessing. Let me illustrate how important Vacation Bible School is real quick. Uh, Miguel, stand up. Stand up, son. Stand up. All right. He was saved two years ago in Vacation Bible School. All right, you can sit back down. Thank you, sir. It's going to get harder with the next things I try to get you to do. Amen? He's also called to preach at the camp, youth camp. All right, Miss Connie, my wife, stand up. Please. Please. I say please to her. Okay. All right. She was saved uh, a few years ago when she was 10 years old in Vacation Bible School. You may be sitting, honey. Thank you. And uh, that's how important Vacation Bible School is. Amen. I look on the front row, and here's a uh, teenager who was saved about a month ago. I look on the second row, here's a young teenager who was saved two weeks ago. And uh, that's what Vacation Bible School is all about. These, these new converts need to grow. And uh, we need to reach people for Jesus. That sum- summarizes, amen? Uh, you want any other illustrations, I can have people stand. Miss Kathy was saved in Vacation Bible School. Miss Kathy Harris, others were saved in Vacation Bible School. And aren't you glad they were, amen? And so that's what it's all about, seeing people saved by the grace of God. James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. If you'll stand in honor and reverence of the Word of God. I want to tell you something, you don't have to go to calisthenic class around here, you just come to Whitfield Baptist Church, you stand up, you sit down, you stand up, you sit down, <laughs> glory to God. But uh, I promise you, the time we want to stand the most is during the pr- reading of the Word of God, because that shows reverence. We stand for the flag, we stand for the Word of God, because it's in there. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy. When ye fall into divers temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, that verse defines temptation, the trying of your faith worketh, say the next word with me, patience. Boy, how many needs that? But look at verse 4. It says, but let patience have her perfect work. That's the title of the message this morning, Brother Cody. That you may be perfect and entire and wanting Nothing. And tonight I'm going to preach on how to have your prayers answered, but let's go ahead and read it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. means he don't fuss at you. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not with faith, in faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed And let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful song service, the great choir specials, the beautiful special uh, by Sister Johnson. And Lord, just the good congregational singing bless my heart. Now, Lord, as we come to the most important part of of the service, and that's the preaching of the Word of God, God, help us stay awake. Help us to be attentive. God, help us not be distracted by cell phones or, or messages or things that happened before or things that will happen after this service. God, speak to our hearts. Change our hearts. Mature our hearts. And God, if there's any hearts that are not saved and going to heaven, I pray that you'd save that heart for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of James, probably the key verse is James chapter 1, verse 22, where it says, be, be, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In other words, the book of James is talking about walking the walk, and not just talking the talk. Now I've seen a lot of people talk the talk in 39 and a half years of pastoring here, but i tell you what, it's a blessing, because I've also seen a whole lot of people walk the walk. And I want to tell you something, you shouldn't let your talk exceed, exceed your walk, but your walk ought to back up your talk. And so James is talking about maturity. It means be mature. You ought to grow up. 
One of the worst things that could happen to your children is they not grow. I've been excited about the uh, pictures, and I posted them too quick. I had to take them off real quick, of uh, the little baby being adopted over in China by one of our preacher boys, Brother Nathan Gregory, and how happy they were and how uh, they are bringing that little uh, baby that's half blind back to the United States of America. Had to raise $36,000 to do it. And they're all excited about it. But I'll tell you what would be uh, terrible if Shiloh didn't grow up, if she didn't grow physically. Well, folks, it's even a greater tragedy when we as Christians don't grow spiritually. And we just become babies and stay babies. And we're born again, we are babies. And we need to mature and we need to grow. And I want to tell you something, friend. This book tells us how we can grow, how we can be mature, how we can magnify and let Christ be seen in our lives. And that's what you want to be, amen? You want to be a good testimony, say amen. You want to uh, be a, a doer of the word, not just a sayer of the word. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 17, it says, if, uh, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, you know how I preach on faith. Faith is, uh, is, is the essence of, of substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. But folks, you're saved by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection. But also, folks, to the world, you're not saved unless you have some works, unless you, unless you have a difference. And folks, I want to tell you something. Christ makes a difference in your life. Amen? He gives you a new want to. He gives you a new desire. He gives you a new appetite. He even gives you new power that you didn't have. And I want to tell you something, friend. There's something wrong with a Christian that doesn't want to read his Bible, come to church, and grow and mature. It's called spiritually backslidden or sick, spiritually speaking. And folks, this chapters, these five precious chapters tell us how we can get our prayers answered, how we can uh, control our tongue. Hallelujah. We need that one, don't we? Amen. Um, uh, how, to, how to defeat worldliness, how to uh, defeat Satan, uh, how just to have an effectual prayer life and be mature enough to let the Word of God actualize through our lives. Now, I'm interested in that, aren't you? I want to know something about this. And so you need to be here because if you don't come on Sunday nights, you're going to miss half the messages because I, I feel led that we need to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night so I can get through this by the end of August. And uh, we're excited about it. So I hope you'll be with us in every message. But James chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 1, James, the servant of God. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's, he's given this letter to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Now notice the word scattered. That means they're under great persecution. You know, it's easy to live the Christian life when everything's hunky-dory. But I'll tell you what, what, it really is important that you live the Christian life when things are going bad. I mean, when there's tribulation and trials, after the death of a loved one. You know, I've seen people lose babies and their babies die and they never come back to church. I've seen people lose their mama and never come back to church. They get bitter instead of better. And folks, that ought not be. God allows things in our life for a reason. And I'll give you that reason in just a minute. To let patience have its perfect work. And so I'm interested in this, but I want you to notice who the author, the penman of this book is. It's James. And James a pastor of a first century church. It's a New Testament church. It's the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. I believe that was the title of it. And this man James is the human penman of this epistle. Who is this man? Well, in the, there's three individuals who bear the name of James in the New Testament. Which of these... Uh, called James as the author of this book. Well, it couldn't be the uh, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, because James or the James, the son of Aphias, because it had to be James, the brother of Jesus. In other words, the stepbrother of Jesus is writing this book. He's the son of Joseph and Mary. And the reason I know that is because number one, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, is dead. So he can't write something if he's dead. Amen? Acts chapter 12, uh, uh, verse 17 tells us that, uh, that uh, uh, or verse 2 really, that Herod killed James of Zebedee. And then we notice that uh, the book goes on to talk about James 
uh, being around during the resurrection. And he wasn't a believer until Jesus arose from the dead. His own half-brother, his own stepbrother, so to speak. Jesus Christ, the one he was raised up in the carpenter shop. He didn't get saved until Jesus arose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. So James uh, is the pastor of a first century church. Now I want to say this, and I want, to, I want you to know this, that we need to be a first century church. I'm not interested in being a 21st century church, even though we live in a 21st century church. I want to be a first century church. What do you mean? Uh, show up in robes and sandals? No. I'm talking about being an old-fashioned, New Testament, fundamental, Bible-believing, Bible-directed, Bible-obeying, Bible-living church. I believe we ought to be a New Testament church. Say amen. We don't have to uh, have entertainment around here to draw a crowd. We don't have to come for uh, reasons that the 21st century church is looking for. And that's entertainment and excitement and thrill and, and uh, smoke coming up from the platform and rock and roll music and all the things of the world. Folks, what we need is to be a first century church in a 21st century. Say amen. We need to be an old-fashioned church. We need to be a church, number one, with saved membership. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 42. They were saved and they were obedient in believers' baptism. We don't believe baptism saves you. Uh, folks, no work saves you. Only the work of Calvary saves you. Say amen. And folks, it was a local Bible-believing church that James begins to write to. And folks, uh, we need to realize that this church uh, had allegiance to one headquarters, and that's heaven. They had one head, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first century church was also called a great title. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 real quick. 2 Timothy chapter, I just want to give you a background of this pastor, what kind of church he was addressing. And this is what, what kind of church we ought to be, and that's why we have the book of James, so we'll be that kind of church. Amen. This is an epistle to a church. James is writing, telling us to be uh, like that, a, a first century church. And folks, we see uh, in 2 Timothy, and I, I forgot where I was going, amen. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3. A two and a one makes a difference when you got it in the outline, amen. But look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want you to look at verse 15. But it says, but if I tarry long that I may as... Uh, uh, know how thou oughtest behave thyself. Now folks, believing ought to affect our behaving. Say amen. We ought to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Especially during trials. And I'll get to that in just a minute. And it goes on to say this real quick. It says, How thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. This is God's church. I started it 39 years ago, but I'm just the servant. I'm the pastor. Uh, I'm the bishop, so to speak. I'll explain those terms in just a minute. But folks, it says the church of the living God, listen to this, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now that's so important. Folks, we are to be the pillar, not P-I-L-L-O-W, don't, don't sleep, the pillar and the ground of this society. Folks, what's that saying? That we ought to have the truth and that ought to be, the Word of God ought to be the sole authority of our life and our faith and our practice. How, what we do. And folks, listen, if uh, there's something in the book of James that we're not doing, we ought to do it. And a lot of people put a lot of things in these epistles, and I've never seen instructions for that in the local church. And I won't get into that right now, or y'all, none of you come back. But I want you to, I want you to see this, that folks, millions of people have no fixed point of reference in this society. Uh, they don't have any uh, pillar or ground for their life. In other words, they're just wandering around doing what feels good. I once saw a bumper sticker. It said, if it feels good, do it. I almost ran into the bumper. Hallelujah. Feel what? If it feels good, do it. No, that's crazy. You'll get into a lot of trouble if you go with that philosophy. I won't tell you what you ought to do. If it's in this book, you ought to do it. Amen. Say amen. This is the pillar and the ground of our life. And folks, we ought to realize that uh, we need to lift up the truth and love. we got a lot of information in this society. You can click on Google and find anything. I've asked questions like, 
uh, uh, what's the uh, name uh, Hannah mean? And somebody Googles it before we get out of here. Come on, Miss Debbie, say amen right there. You're the one that did it. And I said, glory to God, you can find anything on Google. You can, it's an information age, say amen. But I want to tell you something. Just because there's a lot of information doesn't mean there's a lot of truth out there. And the truth is the Word of God. It's inspired 1,500 years, 44 different authors, 66 different books, and not one contradiction. All the prophecy about Jesus came true exactly. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, 913 years before he was born, said he'd be born in Bethlehem, and it took taxation to get him to that place. Mom and Daddy had to ride a donkey to go pay their tax. And God fulfilled that prophecy to the exact detail. Don't you tell me we don't have the grounds and the focal point of life right here. This is the Word of God. Say amen. The church was pastored by uh, James, and I believe it was an independent congregation. Let me prove that to you. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 4. They sent out missionaries, and I don't see one of them trying to go to some council or some, some overseers or some convention or some committee or some uh, hierarchy over the church or some cardinal or pope or potentate or preacher. They just said, hey, we are going to send out these folks because the Holy Spirit told us to send them out. Amen? That's why I like being independent Baptist. We get to know our missionaries. We get to love our missionaries. They give account to the local church of what they're doing, and that's biblical. That's the truth, amen? That's how a church ought to be set up. I'm not putting any other church down. I'm just saying that's why we're independent. Nobody's going to tell me to move after three years. Thank God for that. I've been here 39. Hallelujah. Some of y'all wish I'd have moved after three years. I know that. But I want to tell you something. Thank God, folks, we're led by the Spirit of God. And the head of this church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. This is our bylaw and constitution. Say amen. And somebody said, well, how did you know what to do when you started this church? I said, I read the book of Acts. I read the, the epistles. I read the New Testament. I read the Bible. And the Bible tells you how you ought to start a church, how you ought to remain a church, and how you ought to set up a church. So there are independent congregations. James is preaching to a local ecclesia called out assembly. He's teaching them some great things. And folks, he's bringing them to this point. You need to be a living witness. Folks, I want to tell you something. The greatest uh, way that we can bring people in this church is your life be one that has salt to it. Amen? I mean, if you're a hypocrite, nobody's going to come to this church. If you walk one way during the week and talk one, another way during the week and you try to uh, just put on a little dab of do you uh, Christianity, when I, was a, when I was a teenager, we used to have Brill Cream. Y'all remember Brill Cream? <laughs> And the theme of the commercial was just a little dab of do you. Hallelujah. And I'd roach my hair up. I mean, I'd put it up there like this, you know. I don't have that now, praise God. I just, I just use a little mop and glow, praise the Lord. But anyway, but you know, you, you, I, had that thing, uh, I had that thing curled up, and I had to keep it in place with a little brill cream, just a little dab of do you. That's the way a lot of people take their church anity. They just have a little dab of do you, Sunday morning only. I want to tell you something, folks. There's more than Sunday morning only. There's more than just religion. We need to have a relationship with a living God, and we need to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. We need to magnify God. Miss Sarah, we need to let Christ be seen in our life. James will tell us how to do it. Aren't you excited about studying the book of James? I can't wait to teach you tonight on how to have your prayers answered. I mean, that's important. I know we covered in Sunday school, but we're going to cover in another angle this tonight. But folks, the first century church, the New Testament church had a shepherd. That means he was a leader. He was a bishop. He was overseeing uh, them. He oversaw and he saw ahead. That's what a bishop is. And folks, the work of that pastor is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. I know this is all introduction, but it's not boring. Look at Colossians 1, 28. It says, whom we preach. Here's the office of a uh, pastor. Warning every man. You ought to thank God for a preacher that'll preach against sin. Say amen. So I don't like that. I'm going to go to one of these churches where everything's hunky-dory and good and everybody feels good. And Folks, I want to tell you something. We need a church where uh, the Word of, is, is a warning. It's a warning. Sin will take you a lot lower than you ever thought it would. 
It'll hurt you a lot more than you would, and it'll keep you a lot longer than you ever thought it would. Amen. Come on, some of y'all been through the trauma of divorce. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been through the trauma of losing your child to a prodigal state, and he's still in the pig pen. You know what I'm talking about. You know it hurts. It hurts more than you ever dreamt it would hurt. And so, folks, you need somebody to warn the young people, don't go with the crowd, go with Christ. Preach it with authority. Warn. Warn people there is a hell. And the people that, boys and girls and men and ladies that do not get saved are going to hell. You say, where'd you get that? 83 times mentioned in the Bible. 13 times preached by Jesus Christ. So if we're going to preach the book, we've got to preach against going to hell. And the love of going to heaven. And God doesn't want you to go to hell. And it says this. It says, warning every man in all wisdom. We ought to warn them, but we ought to also teach them. I believe every sermon ought to have some teaching in it. Not every, te- every, every lesson ought to be a preaching ser- ser- service, but I want to tell you something. Every time somebody preaches, there ought to be some teaching. You ought to learn something. That's why we take the Word of God out and look at it. That you may present, here it is, here's the theme of, of James. That you may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Folks, that means we need to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? Perfect means mature. A perfect uh, a perfection of an acorn is an oak tree. Hallelujah. So anytime you get discouraged, just look up at a big old oak and say, man, that one time was a nut. <laughs> that one time was an acorn. Folks, God's not finished with you yet. God's going to work in your life. And I want to preach this morning just a very simple message on why Christians have trouble. These TV evangelists say that every time you have trouble, you've you got sin in your life. That's wrong. That's a heresy. There's a lot of times that people had trouble in the Bible and they were right with God. Number one, Jesus Christ. Number two, Paul. And he prayed three times to be healed and God said, no, no, no. And he said, my power, my grace is sufficient. And so then he changed Paul's prayer and said, well, okay, Lord, just pour it on me then. I'll just rest in your power. And I'll rest in my weakness. And God called him to have grace to bear it. Sometimes that's a greater miracle than being healed. Say amen. And so folks, listen. I want to preach the book of James with this idea that God has called you to let patience have her perfect work. There's a perfect work of patience. And that's what the Bible says. Look at verse 2 now. We're we're, we're moving now. We're getting into the book of James. That was all introduction. Y'all can wake up now. That was introduction. Here we go with James. The Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy. By the way, notice that uh, uh, last phrase of verse 1. It says, scattered abroad. You know what that means? They were being persecuted. Far worse than we've ever been persecuted. I mean, they were, they were, they were dying for their faith. I told you about the man, uh, the two preachers that would not stop reading the Tyndale Bible, which, where we got our King James Bible from, and he burned, they burned them at the stake. And the green wood was so green that they had to put the Tyndale Bible leaves uh, uh, as, as fuel. And then uh, Pastor Woosley, William Woosley, got the Bible, got a hold and said, give me one of those Bibles. He started preaching while they were burning him. Now that's some faith, amen? Most of us have been whining and calling the uh, police or something, amen? We'd want out of that fire. And folks, God has allowed us to see men and ladies and boys and girls die for their faith. God's not called you to be a martyr that I know of, but He sure has called you to be a living sacrifice. And so they were scattered. And folks, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, they were scattered, but they preached. Amen? And then He said this, and I'll, I'll just give you this thought, and we'll preach tonight on it. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when thou fall in divers temptation, knowing this, that the trying your faith worketh patience. Now here's the, here's the theme. Here's the lesson. Here's the title. But let patience have her perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect, mature, fruit-bearing, entire, wanting nothing. Folks, we need to realize that God had James, the pastor, deal with what was on the hearts of these people that were saying probably 
like old Chris Christopherson used to sing, Why me, Lord? What have I ever done? You know, remember that old song, that whining song? <laughs> no, y'all don't remember that. Y'all too young. But anyway, folks, sometimes trouble drives us away from God. Sometimes trouble makes us bitter. Sometimes trouble causes us to be inconsistent. But I want to tell you what the Bible says, that trouble ought to drive you to God. And that patience ought to have its perfect work. And there is a reason that God allows things in your life. And James begins to start, begins his whole message on Christian maturity. He begins his message on let Christ be seen in your life, church. We got a lot of trouble. We're persecuted. We're scattered. Listen, folks, the trying of our faith is necessary. Why? Because it brings us to the end of ourself. If everything was always sunshine, we would never find the leaks in this roof. Amen? We need some storms. We need some rain. And folks, we need some wisdom not to waste trouble. Now folks, if you go through a heart attack, don't waste it. You go through a terrible sickness, don't waste it. You go through a heartache and a pain, don't waste it. That's what wisdom's all about. Don't waste your problems. Find out what God's doing. And you say, well, I can't trace God. And you sure can't. But you sure can trust Him. And folks, one way to trust Him is let patience have its perfect work. Too many of us try to quit at the first sign of pain and problems. Folks, we need pain. And we need problems to be what we ought to be for God. Wisdom is seeing this world through God's eyes. The Bible says in James what I ask for. And he gives it to us liberally. And he upbraideth not. It means he don't scold you and say, I told you that before. You ever done that, parents? You told them 16 times. They come and ask you again. And you scold them for asking you again. No, you ought to thank God they're interested in right. And then, folks, wisdom is discernment. Wisdom is making right decisions. And there's never a time that you ought to turn on God. There's never a time that you ought to leave God out because of problems and trials. Folks, listen, um, bad decisions disappoint God. But bad decisions will disappoint a whole lot of other people because they'll follow you the rest of your life. You marry wrong, it's hard for the rest of your life, teenagers, to correct that bad decision. So we need wisdom. You need to look at people through God's eyes. and He doesn't condescend and condemn he just tells you the truth, and the truth will set you free. He shows you the future, and you can see the results of that relationship or that bad decision or that bad attitude. So temptations, that's a trial that God uses as a tool, and He brings patience. We abide, the word patience means to abide under, not a trial uh, not to trace God, but to trust God. And then we see it brings stability in our life. Folks, God knows we need a focal point in our life. Say amen. We're all unstable. We're all schizophrenics. Amen. We're, we are. I tell you what, we're the only people that can cry and smile at the same time, Christians. Amen. We can rejoice during the hardest times because we know God's going to work. God's going to get the glory if we don't mess up and react in the flesh, and get mad at God, and get bitter, and get sinful. God knows what He's doing when He allows you to go through trials. Ask Job. Ask Paul. They weren't bad people. They weren't sinful people. They were just people that God had a special plan for. Let patience have its perfect work. Let means you yield. But folks, it brings stability in your life. And folks, patient means to abide under. It don't mean abide under the trouble. One time I asked a lady, I said, Hey, how you doing? He said, Well, under the circumstances. And boy, I had a whole uh, load of problems unloaded on me. Under the circumstances. I said, You know what you need? You need to get out from under the circumstances and get under Christ. <laughs> Amen? What are we doing under there? Folks, the word patient means abide under, but that means abide under His wings. Because He cares. Don't you love that song, Under His Wings? 
written by a lady from Cahutta, Georgia, by the way. She sang it here many years ago. Under His Wings. But I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through, 10, 5 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 5, and I know it's 1 Peter, not 2. 1 Peter 5, I want you to look at verse 5. It says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder, the all that you are subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. Ladies just had a good Bible study on humility the other Tuesday morning. I saw my wife's notes. It was really good. Almost preached it, but I didn't. It says, For God resisteth the proud. Folks, I want to tell you something. You try, you try to handle life's problems in your own strength, you're in trouble. You try to handle your marriage. You try to raise a teenager uh, parents in your own strength, see what happens. Try to raise a toddler, praise God. You can't even keep up with them. I've had five grandchildren at my house this week, and I'm tired. Whew. they'll wear you out. It's a good thing about being a grandparent. After about five days, just send them home. <laughs> now, now, they're still here. It's vacation Bible school. Hallelujah. But listen to this. Patience. Listen. What's it bring? Resist the proud. He giveth grace to the humble. That grace doesn't mean just saving grace. That means sustaining grace. That means strengthening grace. That means grace that he let patience have its perfect work. Now, let's go on. Verse 6. You with me? Verse Peter 5, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Let patience have its perfect work. Casting all you care upon Him for He careth for you. Be sober. That means not stop drinking, but you ought to if you are. It means serious. Be serious. Listen to this now. Be vigilant, Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now listen to this. Whom resist steadfast in the faith that's the theme of James 2, faith. Resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but the God of all grace. Now listen. Who hath called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that he has suffered a while, after you suffered a while, make you to be what? Perfect. Mature. Listen to this. Establish. Focal point. Strengthen. Settle. He'll settle you. Inquire. Listen to this. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The greatest way to glorify God is never quit. The greatest way to glorify God is don't let problems drive you away from God, but drive you to your knees and make you more like God. See, the ultimate reason that you're alive today is found in Isaiah 43, 7. The Bible says you're created for His glory. His glory. You're not, you're not created just to have a good time. Where'd you ever get that idea? Well, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. That was the attitude of Noah's day. God didn't call you to be just happy. God called you to be holy. Then you'll be really happy. You got a holy marriage, you're happy. You can trust your wife. Amen. You can trust your old husband. Praise God. You can keep cooking for him when he just takes you for granted. Don't say a thing about those good old cathead biscuits. Amen. You ought to stop making them if you don't thank God for them. Amen. Or thank you for them. Or thank God for you. <laughs> we take each other for granted, don't we? But I want to tell you something. We should not take for granted that God's doing a great work in our life. God said He created all things for His glory. Revelation 4.11, He created all things for His pleasure. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, it's impossible to please God except by faith. So what do you think God's trying to do? He's trying to increase your faith. He's trying to develop your faith. He's trying to impart your faith. He's trying to make you the best Christian somebody knows. And when we have trials and trouble, the Bible says, first of all, we ought to count it joy. Now that sounds like something a crazy person would do. Just start laughing during problems. No, I'm not talking about holy Last, I'm not talking about it's not there and praising God that you just broke your leg. But praising God that God's in control. And when He did break my leg twice as a, a soccer player in college, I wasn't rejoicing, but now I'm rejoicing because it's one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life. Because through that, God directed me to a youth program where I was the youth pastor instead of uh, the executive director of General Electric for the Southeast. And I got to go to a little gym and with a long leg cast and start a Bible study. And 
God used all that after graduation from college to put me at a place where I fell in love with the ministry and God called me to preach. And I'd rather be a preacher than the President of the United States. Take that, Trump. Praise God. I, I, I'd rather be that than, the, than a, a Supreme Court justice because it's the calling of God on my life. And God used trials and tribulation to direct me to where I'd listen to God. He got my attention. Let patience have its perfect work. So we can count it joy looking back. How many of you ever had a trial and a terrible experience? And you look back and it was one of the best things that ever happened to your life. Amen? It was one of the best lessons. It was one of the times you drew closer to God than you ever have. It's amazing how when people are in the emergency room, we start praying more. When people die, we start praying more. When our health fails, we pray more. When we fail, we pray more. And so folks, listen, one of the worst things you can do is be successful out of the will of God. Somebody was bragging the other day about some attainment they had out of the will of God. And I said, that's dangerous. Because they're going to get content on being famous out of the will of God. Or successful. Or a winner, quote unquote, out of the will of God. It's dangerous. But I want to close with this fact. All you that are members of Whitfield Baptist Church, y'all listen for the visitors, okay? Because they ain't heard this. Why do we have trouble? The Bible says we ought to ask for wisdom. And we ought to let patience have her perfect work. That we might be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. And folks, I want to tell you something. The reason we uh, have trials and tribulation is... um, is because there, there, is a, there is a problem in our life called sin. And there's a problem in our life called self. And so sometimes, listen now, sometimes God sends trouble in our life to correct us. How many of you parents have ever spanked your children? Raise your hand. The rest of you get biblical. Seven times in Proverbs it says you ought to spank your child. I didn't come up with that. And all you kids hate me now, but praise God, you'll, you'll love me later. But I needed everyone I got, say amen. I mean, I really needed more than I got because I got away with a whole lot of stuff. Don't do it at home. Don't do what I did at home. But I want to tell you something, folks. The Lord loves you enough to correct you. One of the worst judgments in your life is that you get away with sin and the sin takes its course. Because sin will ruin your life. Sin will short-circuit wisdom and discernment. And you'll make terrible mistakes in sin and because of sin. How many people have married because of physical reasons? They feel like they have to get married. They're having a child. Folks, listen. The nest is not ready. Adopt that child. Just because you have a baby don't mean you ought to get married. You get married because it's the will of God and because you love the person. Say amen. But a lot of people, they have to get married. They have to do this. They, they, they uh, drop their guard and they're not pure in their relationship and they have premarital sex and they think they have to get married. That's why you shouldn't have that. Say amen. You ought to keep yourself as a gift to your mate on the honeymoon night. That's old-fashioned, isn't it? Say amen. But it's the best advice you'll get from a preacher. Folks, listen, that complicates everything because you feel indebted to a person when you shouldn't be indebted to get married. Now listen to me. Listen to me closely. But when you sin, you better thank God for the trouble that comes from God. Look at Hebrews 12, 6. I'm closing now. I've got 10 minutes. You say, who gave you 10 minutes? I try to put a... Time limit on myself or I'll preach all day and y'all never come back. But look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. It's right next door to James. I'm I'm flying all over the Bible. It's right there. Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord, what? Loveth. Now listen. He chasteneth and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And in verse 8 says, you're illegitimate if he doesn't spank you. I'm going to tell you why I know that my mama was Lily B. Cofield, 2172 Holly Hill Drive, because she was the only woman that wore me out all the time. I knew I belonged to her. (laughs) 
Hallelujah. I knew it. I wish I didn't belong to her so much sometimes. Amen. She'd wear me out. But I needed it. You know why she did that? Because she loved me. One time she was with me. She says, you ain't going to turn out like your drunk daddy. I said, Mama, I'm not drinking. Please, let up. Praise God. I just broke, I just put 153 BBs in my bedroom window. That's not no big deal. Amen. It was big to her. She not only whipped me, she whipped my best friend that taught me into it. Hallelujah. But listen to me now. I had a mama love me. Because I might be going around shooting people's heads off today. But God, every time I pick up a gun right now, I feel warm in a certain place. Amen. <laughs> I don't even go hunting, praise God. I'm a golfer. But listen, for whom the Lord loveth, he's scourged and chastened every son he receiveth. Folks, sometimes troubles because of sin. You better thank God for it, but it's not always. Don't you listen to those TV evangelists that say, every time you're sick, it's because of sin. I can prove them wrong 17 different ways. Then number two, write them down, four C's. Some of you got them in your Bible already. Sometimes troubles for conditioning. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Y'all knew I had to start James off with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Got your Bibles? Amen. We're not palm readers, we're Bible readers. The Bible says, Who comforteth with all tribulation, that you may be able to, st- be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherein you, we ourselves are comforted of God. You know what that verse is saying? God puts you through some things because He wants to use you later on as a blessing. I've had young people come to me and say, Oh, you know what it's like to live with a parent that's an alcoholic and is drunk and beats me and wrecks the cars and, and burns the house up and loses the paycheck. You don't know what it's like, preacher. And I'll say, Hey, wait a minute. Whoa. I do know what it's like. And I've been there and I've done that. And I know the heartache. And I know the embarrassment. And I know the nervousness of it because I had to go to a special class and have earphones on my ears because I stuttered so bad living in that junk and that sin. And I say, yes, I know. But let me tell you the rest of the story. I didn't get bitter. But I started praying. And I gave my life to Jesus and one day I was preaching. and My daddy walked out at 63 years of age and he got born again. And he doesn't drink anymore. And praise God, he went to church every day and then he, I'd want to run away from home, but when I, uh, when I, when I, and I always got hungry and came back in about two miles. But, uh, but when I moved off and was a youth pastor down in Claxton, Georgia, the fruitcake capital of the world, uh, my, my preacher said a fruitcake uh, moved out when I did. But anyway, I'd want to come home and catch my daddy up late at night, not passed out in his food like he used to pass out, or burn the house up like he did when we was at a revival meeting, but reading the Bible. I come in at 10 o'clock, he's reading the Bible. And then I'd hang around and spend the night, and the next morning he'd get up and he'd hug Mama and say this, Mama, I love you. I never heard that before he got saved. Folks, therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. And so, folks, God put me through that so I could tell the rest of the story that you don't have to get bitter. You don't have to get mad. You don't have to get... Uh, give up on somebody that's got a drinking problem or a sin problem. You just need to shine. You need to love them. And that's what my mama did. I'm telling you, friend, God sometimes causes trouble to come in your life because He's chasing you. And sometimes He's conditioning. He's bending the blade for the battle. He wants to use you as a great comfort because you receive comfort in those trials, that trouble. So you ought to rejoice in the trouble. By faith. And then sometimes it's for a change. And I can give you the whole New Testament on this, especially the Gospels. God wants to perform a miracle. I still believe God answers prayer. And sometimes He puts problems in your life so you can pray and God answers them and He gets the glory. He still heals. Not through these healers on TV that's making a million. If that offends you, talk to me after the service. I'll tell you a few things behind the scenes. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. God heals through prayer. And I've seen it. And so have you. Say amen.
God's healed your body. God's healed your life. Or why are you still here? You'd be dead if He hadn't healed you. But last but not least, here's an always. Sometimes trouble. Sometimes trouble is for chastening. Sometimes trouble in the Christian life is for conditioning. Sometimes it's for the change, a miracle, for the glory of God. But always, always trouble is this for is for this reason. Turn to Romans 8, 28 and 29. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Real quick. Come on. I know we're late, but I want to tell you something. This will beat lunch if you'll take it to heart. Romans 8, 28 and 29. I don't think, I ought to, I don't think you ought to read 28 without 29. The Bible says, For we know that all things work together. Key word in that verse is together. For the good to them that love God to them that are called according to His what? Purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did predestine to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. What's that saying? That's saying this. God works all things together for your good, His glory. And then verse 29, to make you what? Like Jesus. Like Jesus. So all trouble is for conforming. Sometimes it's chastening. Sometimes it's conditioning. Sometimes it's changed by the miraculous power of God. But it's always, always, always for conforming. Always to make you more like Jesus. That's what the book of James is all about. God said, give them wisdom. James is praying, give them wisdom. Wisdom not to waste the trial. But praise God, He even opens it up and says that they might rejoice and count it all joy when they fall in all kinds of trials. For the trying of your faith, worketh patience, and patience, having her perfect word, may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. If you lack wisdom, ask it. I'm closing. I'm just saying this. Folks, one of the greatest privileges you have on this earth is to trust God in the valley. And let God have His perfect work. Let God be thorough in your life. Don't react and put up a wall. Don't rebuff God and say, God, I'm quitting church. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm going to pout, panic, and be pitiful instead of pray and depend on God to do His work of patience that believe that turns into perfection and entirety. Wanting nothing. The man was praying at the altar. Unusual prayer. He said, Lord, I hate buttermilk. He'd go, like he go, dr- like he was drowning in buttermilk. And brother, if I had to drink buttermilk, anything clabbers, I ain't drinking it. Amen? I'm just not going to do it. Buttermilk. My daddy used to have cornbread and buttermilk. I thought, oh, God. Then he prayed another unusual thing. He said, Lord, I hate Lord. Like he was drowning on it. Everybody that was praying went over to the other side. They thought they, this weirdo's gone. Then he started praying, but he had tears streaming down his eyes, the preacher said. He told me about this. He said, Lord, I hate baking soda. He said, Lord. What else? Y'all help me out. I hate, thank you, flour. Like he was drowning in it. Then he started praying and weeping. He said, but Lord, I sure love homemade biscuits. You know what he's praying? He's praying, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of them that love God. Sometimes it's like a dose of lard. Shortening. Did I leave that out? Like flour. Like buttermilk. I want to tell you something. You put it in a master shelf like my wife, she can make homemade biscuits or homemade cookies out of it. Hallelujah. I can't wait to get off this diet so I can get back to it. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! But listen, how are you going to react? What you ought to react is this. I know all things work together to make me more like Jesus. Sometimes it's chastening. Sometimes it's conditioning. Sometimes it's for a change for the glory of God. But it's always, it's always, it's always to conform me and make me more like Jesus. 
What James is saying, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get bitter. Pray for wisdom not to waste your trouble and be more like Jesus. So let me close by saying this. If you're lost, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. You're out of union with your Creator. There ain't nothing going to go right eternally if you're out of union with your Creator. Number two, you're in trouble because after this life, you think it's bad here. You think it's hot in this auditorium this morning or sanctuary. Hell's a lot longer and a lot harder. But I want to tell you something. If you get saved, this is the beauty of being saved. Even trouble works for you. We're more than conquerors. Praise God, we're on the winning side. I'm saying, friend, it's not going to be all good. It was very hard to lose your son, Miss Rose. It was very hard for you to lose your daughter, Miss Teresa, in those car accidents. But I want to tell you something. God can work it all together to make you more like Jesus if you don't get mad, sad, and bitter. Just keep coming to church and saying, Lord, make me more like you. See, there's a lot of things we don't like, but there's a lot of things we ought to accept. And James is about to help us realize that wisdom, not to waste our trouble, is one of the greatest ways to grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the introduction of this great book. I'm so excited about preaching it. This summer, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, that I can't wait to tonight to find out how I can have my prayers answered when I don't even want to pray, when I feel pitiful, when I'm perplexed, how I can have my prayers answered anyway. But Lord, this morning you've taught us that you use all things. And that we ought to let patience have its perfect work to make us more mature, more like you, and tired, wanting nothing, even more content. So Lord, help us. Help us, dear God, to be Christians that doesn't react but respond to your word and your spirit. And may we receive comfort that we can comfort someone down the line and be a blessing. God, you blessed us to be a blessing. That's exactly what we want to be. Now, Lord, in a crowd this big, there's got to be some people here lost. God, they're out of the will of God, and they know it. And they're missing how you can work all things together, give them wisdom and discernment for decisions that are very important ahead, like marriage, like children, like a job and a career. But just like living and not saying yes to sin, but no to sin and yes to the Savior. So Lord, please save them.